Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. As we start number four in our series of synergy, um, it just made me laugh. I spoke to Richard this morning, and, he, and we were talking about the Olympic Games. And he said, you know, if Michael Phelps were his own country, he'd be number 10. <laughs> it's just amazing in terms of uh, medal winning. So uh, isn't that extraordinary? But um, in terms of synergy, if you've not heard any of the previous messages, uh, this is the fourth one in this short series across the summer. They've been superb, actually. Uh, this is, as I say, number four. And uh, um, each one is tackling, um, the whole purpose behind this ser- Synergy series is, is as we grow, it's very, very important for us to be relationally strong. The relational strength of the church, the unity, the fiber in the life of people in the church is, is as, strong, as important as, as actual numerical growth. In fact, numerical growth frankly, is not really worth very much if there is no fibre and relationship and unity. It's, it's all about people. And it's really, I remember I used to be in the... I'm going to go off on tangents this morning, I know, for various reasons. But um, <laughs> I'm looking at Adam and smiling. Um, but um, when I was in the corporate world, if you've ever been in the corporate world, and many of you have, when you merge with another organisation, one of the most difficult things is actually the merging. It's actually the bringing the, the cultures together. And so when we, as we grow as a church, one of the most difficult things, humanly speaking, is for someone with a completely different name, appearance, background, language priority, uh, you know, whatever it is, to actually feel comfortable with, with who we are. It's a difficult, humanly speaking, difficult thing to do. But God has got an amazing way of doing that. He brings his church. He's building his church. That's why Jesus being the boss is so important. If it's about a human being being the boss, it's very difficult. You start shutting people out and closing off people you don't like the look of. Or, but we're not like that. Jesus is building his church in this place, and we are part of his global kingdom. And as a result, we can celebrate 38 or even, dare I say it, 40 nationalities. Isn't it amazing? I just love being part of what God is doing. So maybe you're new today and you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm looking for somewhere where they believe in Jesus. Well, that's us. And somewhere where actually I can have a relationship with other Christians in fellowship. And that's that's also this place. But there's a lot more going on here. As we look at this uh, series this morning, uh, I'm really excited. The title is Promoted to Power. Now, normally, this sounds like one of those classic kind of like, come on, preach it high and large and, you know, just build it up so much and, and then walk home and have, you know. But, but actually, this is the title. I stole this title out of the New Living Translation text heading for verse 37 in Genesis 41. And I, I make no apologies. It says, uh, Joseph is promoted to power. And I thought, well, I can't actually get away from the fact that that's what's going on in the text. So I called it promoted to power. It's not my initiative, my, my canny expression. But um, promoted to power... Now, God wants to do that in your life. He wants your life to be full of power. Let me tell you, God is not interested in, in weak... No, let me get this repositioned. God wants... He's very interested in people who are weak, but he doesn't want them to stay weak. God's whole plan is to strengthen and equip you and to equip me, to equip us, to equip his church. That's his plan. He wants us to be like Joseph in the Genesis story of... and we've been, That's what this Synergy series has been mapping. It's been following the life of... Joseph, as he was sold 
into slavery and eventually emerging through Potiphar's house and then prison into the palace. And, um, and we're really just at that point where he's about to, to become promoted to power. In fact, he, is, he gets promoted today. It's a good day. <laughs> it's a good day. You get to witness Joseph being promoted. But that's God's plan. In a day, God can change your life around. But you may have years of pressure and years of tension and years of anxiety even, of the unknown. But in a day, God can turn it around. I've seen that in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. I celebrate it in people's lives. That's the nature of our God. He does amazing, amazing things. But the topic of this series is synergy. And what is synergy? The creation of a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. The kingdom of God is like that. Um, God brings different people from every tribe, nation under heaven. Oh, that's the agenda. But he does. He brings from all parts of the world uh, into different locations. And people have different styles and different rhythms. Uh, you know, if you go to certain parts of Northern Europe, I should think the, the worship style is very different to sub-Saharan Africa. <laughs> I should think it's very different. When you get to Brazil, it's all, it's all together different again. You know, and it, God's, God's a God of creativity. And, and that synergy that exists in his church is unique. It's the only kingdom that's never been destroyed. It's the only living kingdom that's lasted so long. It's an incredible thing. And it will go on forever and into eternity. Um, so the backstory of Joseph as we go into the synergy, and he's, he's coming to a place of promotion at long last. Just remind you of what happened. He was 17 or thereabouts when he was sold to slavery. And, uh, um, and why? Because, because he frankly racked his brothers off. Because there was a gift in him. Or gifts were in him. God's gifts were in him. But he, he right royally racked them off. That's almost alliteration, isn't it? He absolutely uh, just got under their skin. So you could be a spirit-filled person who really irritates the life out of people. You could be. I, I've known people in this church, and I have been here 148 years, um, and uh, you know, I know I'm looking good for my age. <laughs> but let, let me say that I've known people throughout that entire 148 years um, through the, through the time I've been here, who get really racked off because their spiritual gift is not allowed to flow the way they want it to flow. I've seen people um, take a view about spirituality that's superior to others. I've seen people feel intimidated through a sense of lack of gift, lack of ministry. And, and all of that, none of that's good. The whole point of synergy is that actually gifting and ministry and relationship and loving Jesus and putting him first and, and trusting his word and learning to pray and, and all the things we do like uh, fasting and, and reaching the lost and baptisms and discipleship making, which is our primary reason for existing, um, as well as loving God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, is, is just incredible. And so, so for us, um, you know, this, the journey of Joseph is very important because, because even in the last year I've seen one or two get frustrated because of spiritual gift-related Issues, And I think to myself, that isn't a great place to be, um, and they're not even here now. So, um, but God is God, and uh, God of grace and mercy. So what's happened to Joseph? Well, um, he was a young boy, 17-year-old. He was arrogant and ignorant. I think that's fair to say, but God's power was in him. Uh, he was sold by his brothers into slavery, and he ended up in prison, falsely accused. Um, and then, of course, uh, he had to mature. Now, I'm amazed at the way God worked in his life because there was no Bible in Joseph's day. There was no Old Testament. He only had what had been put into his life by his father and through his, his grandfather um, and the life he shared with his Hebrew family. He had no other 
working document to tell him about who God is. He had no knowledge of Jesus. He was literally someone who had made a decision to be faithful in a strange way, in the, the only way he knew how. Uh, we don't know a huge amount about what he did in terms of his personal worship life. What, you know, how did he respond? All we know is he started to understand God working in himself better. He started to understand it. And he was in isolation for most of the, t- the time. But as we move forward in this morning, I want to t- look at the first point from the text. Now, I'm not going to read all the way through uh, chapter 41, verse 37 to 57, but I'm going to take slices out of those few verses and hopefully build the narrative as we go. My first point this morning is about building trust. Now, before I pop the slide up, building trust, often we approach it, you know, how do I become trusted to somebody else? You know, how do I build trust in relationships? I'm not really looking at trust specifically at an interpersonal level. I'm talking about trust that sustains you over time. So trusting God, if you like, trust that's of a got a bigger horizon as well as the the interpersonal stuff so building trust Um, and we know that Joseph was in prison and his his prison mates have forgotten about him but finally Pharaoh gets to hear and um, and now as we move into chapter uh, 41 uh, Joseph is spoken to by Pharaoh and it says here in verse 37 Joseph's suggestions were well received because remember Joseph had been talking about a pending famine for seven well seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, and um, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. Verse thirty-eight. So Pharaoh asked his officials, "Can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God?" Let me say that trust. Our trust in Jesus Christ is the first most important piece of trust in our lives, our trust in God, our trust in, in, in God's sovereignty in our life. Everything else has got to fit behind that trust. Now, the other areas of trust are also important. We've got to build trust in church life and you build it over time. But what Joseph was doing in his journey of 13 years beyond the age of 17, because we'll read in a moment that he got to the age of 30. He's now at the age of 30. In those 13 years, he's learning how to trust God. That's what he's doing. He's learning how to stop being arrogant, how to stop being, I'm the center of attention. It's my gift. He's starting to realize that if God's gift is in you, you don't need to have a big mouth. You don't need to be the one to say to everybody else, look at my gift. You don't need to promote yourself. He's realizing that God will promote you. You don't need to promote yourself. And the big mistake naive people make in faith is, uh, or young Christians, as they discover the gifts of the Spirit, is look at this gift I've got. And the gift becomes the all-important thing. Actually, maturity says the gift isn't the all-important thing. The all-important thing is trusting God. <laughs> the all-important thing is trusting God and being part of the church that he is building. And as you do that, it disarms uh, opportunities for the demonic to get into your life, to stop you being functional. Because the demonic will use spiritual gifting as a way, believe it or not, to stop you functioning as a Christian. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? The demonic will, will point at other people and blame them for stuff not happening in your life. And it might even be around the areas of spiritual gifting. I mean, if he can do it to Jesus, then the demonic can do it to you and me. So we have to be really careful. These gifts are given to us for a purpose. And, uh, and we want the gifts in, present in BCC. And we see them present in the church. We want uh, tongues, prophecy, interpretation, healing, miracles, uh, deliverance. We want to see all these things, and we do to various degrees and in various measures. Um, but that trusting God 
across a spectrum of time is, is important. So what do we know about Joseph then? He was in Potiphar's house, he was in prison, and now he's at the palace. He's demonstrating consistency, he's carrying accountability. And let me tell you this, I think when we all end up in front of Jesus Christ in heaven, or when we see God at that judgment seat, good and faithful servant will be all about stickability, about longevity, about faithfulness, about supporting every aspect of what God's kingdom represents, not just bits and pieces of it, it's everything. And so each one of you, and I know so many of the church very, very well, are just doing an incredible job of trusting God in, despite tough circumstances, just like Joseph. And, uh, you know, I remember back to when I used to work in, before I was a pastor, many years back, I, my first ever job was to work with the Diamond World and CSO, which was part of De Beers, the diamond company worldwide. And um, I, I remember I, I had no interest in career. I had no interest in, I was a, a young Christian. I, I really wasn't interested in career. In fact, I was the most frustrating person if you were a financial advisor because I didn't want to plan ahead. I just wanted to trust God in my kind of naive way. And, but I realized that Actually, I didn't need to shout at people in my workplace. I didn't need to get aggressive with them. I didn't need to preach at them all the time. I just had to be me. I just had to be me that had an element of trust in my life that was visible. And, and they could see, Pharaoh and his officials could see so obviously filled with God's spirit. Joseph was obviously filled with God's spirit. That is a great test of where we are in our maturity. Does someone look at your life and think, that person is so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. So obviously filled. And God wants us to be in that place. And, and in my workplace, I used to have people constantly asking me to, to talk about my faith. And, and I, it just was the way it was. I was probably shy, actually. I was probably not wanting to, you know, you know not know how to handle myself in a corporate work, workplace. So I tend to keep my mouth shut rather than saying too much. But as a result, people would try and draw out of me. And then as I got more involved in groups and football teams and things, and, um, and then I became more involved in leadership. And they asked me to become involved in leadership in my early days of a working career. You know, people used to ask me for my thoughts about other members of staff. And people were like, my boss in the end, he used to call me down for review meetings. And it was never about me. It was always about other people, which was a little bit embarrassing. I used to find it we, I expect him to be talking about what's going on in my life. But in the end, he'd say, look, I just forget you. You're doing, doing fine. We want to talk about these other people. What, what do I do with? And, and I found that incredible. And I thought, God, you are, you are giving to this company, this organization, a gift. And you're operating through me to do it. And I just thought, well, I've just got to pray about it and pray for that person and those people. And God touched many people in that workplace. Um, and you know what the irony was? Um, my salary doubled every three years for nine years consecutively, which was, which, and I never asked for anything, and yet God provided. And so God does promote. God, God, God puts us in places of influence and power. Now, that's all the secular thing, so let's move on to the Scriptures. But, but God's Spirit is evident, and God's Spirit will be evident in your life and my life as we are faithful to him. In fact, we don't need platforms for ministry. We don't. We just need us. We need us and wherever we happen to be. And... Um, it says in Genesis 41, 39, in the ESV, when Pharaoh said to Joseph, sorry, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is no one, there is none so discerning as wise as you are. There's none so discerning and wise. I was th- I this has kind of got my mind in the last couple of weeks. None so discerning and wise. Discernment and wisdom is what Joseph didn't have 
even though he was gifted. Right? In his youth, at the age of 17, he was gifted but had no discernment and no wisdom. And there is a whole spectrum for us as Christians, young Christians, um, adult Christians, older Christians. That, that discernment and wisdom is really important. Discernment. What is discernment? It's separating out mentally. Now, I, the gift of discernment in the New Testament doesn't necessarily apply to this text because this is the old Hebrew text. But it could do. I'm not saying it doesn't. But to discern means to separate out what is appropriate. You know, it's, it's the ability to separate out, to make a judgment call. It's making good decisions. It, it's not just... Wisdom is, yeah, it's about making good decisions. Wisdom's also knowledge. It's understanding. Um, it's, not just, it's not just mental knowledge here. This is the ability to separate out both what you see and what you do. It's not just an opinion. It's how you separate out the things that are around you in your life and you focus on those separate things in an appropriate way. You don't, you don't do the same thing to everything around you. Discernment is knowing uh, when to apply um, the spiritual move of God into a situation and when not to. One, I remember years ago, there was a guy called Phil Lowe, who was a, a good friend of ours as a church, actually. He became a good friend of mine. He was a part of AOG's London area team. And God spoke to me years and years ago that I would work with that guy. And he was here in this church years and years back. Now, Phil was a prophet and is a prophet. And uh, he's well recognized as an international prophetic voice, certainly in, South, in Australia. And I remember thinking, God, why, why are you telling me I'm going to work with that guy? And sure enough, a few years later, he appeared in East London in a car park. And he tapped on my car window and said, I'm here. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. I went for an area meeting and Phil Lowe standing next to me. He said, I need to have a chat with you. I want to work with you. And I, I remember thinking, this is... This takes me right back a few years. And you know what God did with Phil and me? Phil did something really important in my life. I learned and listened from Phil. But he showed me how, and he's a strong prophetic gift. The prophetic needs to be handled with wisdom and care. You have to discern when you use the prophetic. You don't just shout out whatever God tells you. It's not just, I got a verse, therefore I'm going to read it. I, I got this thing in prayer, therefore I've got to bring it. It's not that at all. So sometimes you may hear me say, well, hang on, just hold on to that. Because I've held on to things that are prophetic for weeks and weeks until God says that's the right timing. Because you can, you can put your size 12s right firmly into someone's life and mess them up by bringing something that's true in at the wrong time. <laughs> now, I don't want to put people off the prophetic. I want more prophetic in the life of the church. And that's why we have to test prophetic. But let me say that the bigger the gift, the more you have to be discerning with it. That's what Joseph's, what's going on here. The people outside of his himself are saying this guy is discerning and wise the bigger your gift gets the more discerning and wise you're going to have to be with it because you can absolutely destroy someone's life by bringing the wrong information to the wrong person or to the right person at the wrong time you know what you know where i'm coming from with that so as we mature in church this interlinking of synergy is really important we are, we are all growing in ministry you do realize that all of us are growing i'm growing our team are growing life group leaders are growing each one of us are growing we're growing and we have got to give each other space for that growth. But also, we've got to be wise and just, just be, be responsive in the right way. So, exciting times in the church. Um, I remember a long time ago, or some time ago, Adam once saying, um, I can't remember if it was privately or, or from the platform, but, but you know, he's a brilliantly gifted worship leader, as, as we've experienced this morning. Uh, and we love Adam and his family. But, but, um, but it's not just a gift. 
It's a gift and a lot of hard work. It's a work. It's work plus the gift. The gift is definitely there, but it's not just the gift. What you see on Sunday morning is not just gift. It's gift plus practice. Gift plus a lot of working out timings and rhythms and selecting songs and making mistakes. So why should spiritual gifting be any different? Why should spiritual gifting suddenly you get, get something in your head and all of a sudden, that's God speaking. If you don't listen to me, you are a sinner. <laughs> it shouldn't work like that. It's wrong, isn't it? If we've got to work at ourselves and we've got to button ourselves down and we've got to learn how to use and handle God's gifting right. We've got to do it right. And no matter what the gifting is. Now, I want us to really go for it. Don't think I'm putting a downer on gifting. I'm really saying go for it because look what happened in Joseph's life. It's amazing. But look at 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Right, approved means that you can disapprove or you can approve. So God could disapprove of your life, work at being someone who is approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. He's talking to, Paul is talking to Timothy. Timothy, the leader of a church, um, who has need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In other words, the word of truth can be mishandled and we all know that can happen. So gifting and uh, you know, all these other things, we just got to work at it. And then in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, now this is the exciting thing, each has received a gift and we know that. Each one of you, each one of us, has re- so we use it to serve one another. I think it's really important. So, you know, we, there is gifting in each one of us, but we use that gifting to serve one another and serve those outside the church as a result. We serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And that's what made me think about people get frustrated with gifting not being either recognized or being exercised in the way that they feel appropriate. And I I, I just think it's amazing. Joseph's life is a life that shows trust being built through refinement. Trust and refinement. Um, Chuck Swindle says a a great quote. I love this. I've I've read um, some of his books. He's an amazing writer. He's an old man now. Is he still alive, actually? I'm not, I think he probably is. I don't want to say he's not. When he, um, but Chuck Swindle said, we are faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. <laughs> I love that, don't you? And so God's gifting us to get through those impossible situations as a church. And why are we talking about handling gifts well this morning? Because synergy needs us to defer to one another at times. We are coming to serve one another in our gifting. Uh, we are coming to serve. We're coming to serve, whether it's a practical gift or a spiritual gift. That's what we're doing. So the first one is trust, and that trust is exercised uh, in relationship and with God in the landscape. And secondly, becoming visible. Genesis 41, 42 uh, uh, says, Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he... Verse 43, then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. He has gone, this is rapid movement into responsibility. I think this message this morning can be prophetic in your life, in our life, the life of our church. I really sense, I was talking to Adam over the new wine period and this last week, some things have happened this week that just I would never have predicted would have happened this week. Even Friday, some stuff has happened in the life of our church. And I think God is moving us into a new phase. There's going to be a new phase start to open up. 
Now, a new phase means growth in all sorts of different dimensions. It means growth in us individually. It means responsibility. But look what happened to Joseph. It was literally, he's now 30 years old, and he, he literally has moved into responsibility. God can do that. He was doing it for purpose. It was a much bigger purpose. It wasn't just to make Joseph feel good, by the way. There was a whole reason behind God doing what he's done. So whether you're a young person or a, a more mature person or an older person, God, no matter what your time of life is, if you're trusting God and you're living by faith and doing the, the simple things right, just doing the right stuff right, God could take your life and move you and suddenly, I don't, when I say move, I don't mean move away. I'm talking about moving your influence into a place of profound impact. It can just happen. God gives and his timing is absolutely down to his own. So what do we need to see here? This guy, a lot of Christian leaders fall flat when they get to the place of promotion. The number of horror stories you hear about people who get into a place of influence and responsibility, and a little while later you find that there's a, a collapse in their world. They can't sustain the responsibility God's given them. I want our church to be full of strong, strong, strong people. I look around our congregation. We're first of two this morning, but there's another third or half of our church not even here. You know, and I'm hoping people are enjoying listening to this podcast on holiday. And you know what? I would encourage you, if you're going to be on holiday for the back end of August, listen to the podcast during this month. I meant to welcome all those listening from Ibiza <laughs> or, or uh, southern Spain or somewhere more exotic, I don't know, um, South Africa. How about that? <laughs> um, you know, to our podcast, because people do, you know, people listen to the podcast while they're on holiday. It's great. And people come. In fact, people in our community listen to our podcast. People in schools where some of you work listen to our podcast. People who are not actually physically in our building are listening to our messages. And God is blessing them through, through what they're hearing. Um, but how do we handle responsibility when we get it? It's not easy because all of a sudden you are the, the spotlight's on you, the limelight is on you. And it's easy to lose your trust or move your trust away from God. And once you become visible on a major platform, what's going to happen? What drives us? The, the problem of risk of ego and self and hang on, I'm the man or I'm the woman. It can all kick in. But having godly preparation will build a healthy reputation having godly preparation and keeping ourselves humble, keeping ourselves in relationship authentically, not being isolated. Isolation is one of the most dangerous things for a believer with lots of responsibility. So whether you're, maybe you're in business and your business is really taking off, but God's given you a mission field around your business area. You know, if you become isolated from fellowship or from the church, then, then you know, you become vulnerable. I just warn you, just be careful of that. But uh, Joseph was honoured by Pharaoh because he could see God working in his life. So he gave him this path. This is an opportunity to fail or succeed. And by God's grace, Joseph, as we know, succeeded. But um, in the course of the transition into visibility, the responsibility he was giving, Pharaoh did a couple of weird things. Pharaoh gave Joseph a new name, a new Egyptian name, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Um, hyphenated. Um, Zaphanath, I think that's right. Pania. Sounds like a type of cheese or something, but <laughs> Zaphanath, Pania, I guess that's somewhere close. My Egyptian friends will probably <laughs> rip me into shreds over that one. But do you know that actually means something? It means God who speaks and lives. So Pharaoh saw in Joseph's life the God who lives and speaks. And he, he recognised it. So he gave him an Egyptian name, but he was acknowledging that there is a God that he worships and, and he could see it. He also gave him a wife. Um, calls Asenath, 
Asenath, which means she belongs. But she was the daughter of a, of a priest. Now, God was not, didn't have a problem with this. You might think, well, how could God let Joseph's life be mixed up with a, a priestess of a religion or something that was, must have been demonic? Because if it's not from God, it's from the demonic. How is that possible? But I don't know. All I can say is that for whatever reason, God allowed that to happen. And in fact, produced two tribes of Israel out of that union, which is extraordinary, isn't it? Manasseh and Ephraim, I think it was. And um, extraordinary what God did. And yet, he, in their society, the priest would have been at a high class level in their community because, if you like, Pharaoh was like a god and the priests. So he put him right in the most influential... In fact, this might be the reason. He put Joseph right into the most influential spiritual place in their society. That's what he's done. He, God has put himself right into the spiritual heart of what that whole community that didn't trust the God that we know, and put Joseph right in the middle of it. And Joseph wasn't a theologian. He had no text. He had no books. He had none of that. So what could God do with you? You, you may have a very practical career, a very um, hands-on career. You might be, have a very academic career, but it's not Bible-based. But God could still put you into places of great influence amongst people with spiritual position. But how do we handle platform? I love the Olympics. I've been watching it on and off as much as I can. And uh, I was really impressed with the Fijians. Did you watch the Rugby Sevens? Just raise your hand if you watched the Rugby Sevens. You missed if you didn't. It was fantastic. I want to salute the Fijians with a left hand. <laughs> they beat England in the final. Uh, I think we got silver, didn't we? Uh, we got trounced by the Fijians. They absolutely mullered the British uh, team. Um, they were amazing. And every time anything happened of significance, they worshipped God. Yeah. It was absolutely staggering. And the press haven't really covered it much. I didn't hear much on, I didn't see anybody on BBC talking about it. I've, I've not seen anything on YouTube promoting it, but I saw it in the game. I saw it when something stopped. You know, someone was on his knees praying. And, and I, I had to go to, a, to find, a, a, Reuters took these shots. So we got on slide here, we got two shots of the Fijian team, one standing at their national anthem with their hands raised. Can you see that? Hands raised, worshipping God. And then the guys on the right, the other photo, giving, giving God glory together. Whether that was a half-time or a... I don't know when in the game that was, but I saw it in the game and it really spoke to me. On the biggest platform in the world, in their profession, their sports profession, they're giving God glory. It was absolutely fantastic. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to deliberately stand for the truth where you are. If you don't stand for it, the bigger the platform, if you just put the truth to one side, you will pay a price because you'll get bitten by that. You've got to be more assertive about where God is in your life, the bigger the platform is you stand on. And maybe God is preparing people in this room for a big platform. You've got to be willing to put Jesus Christ right bang in the center of that platform for God to really bring you through to effectiveness. That's what's going to be required. Otherwise, you become a, a bit of collateral damage in the journey of, of God's kingdom. And we don't want that, and God doesn't want that. He wants people strong. But um, it, tremendous. Do we see what God sees? I'm just going to touch this for a second and then I'm going to come back to... The, the, this week I shared with the team that God's been speaking to me through Jeremiah 1 and a couple of verses. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord spoke to me or said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Just a couple of thoughts. 
Um, I, I just feel that becoming visible is as much about what you're seeing God do as anything else. It's not about your visibility. It's about what do you see that's visible in God's kingdom? What do you see? And a number of the prophets, God asked this question, what do you see? Amos was another one. Um, you can look it up and do some research. God said, what do you see? And why did God ask Jeremiah, this has nothing to do with this text this morning, the main Joseph text, what do you see? Why did God do it? Because he wanted Jeremiah to know that there are things you can look at, there are different things you will see in your life, but you need to see what God's seeing. You need to see, or at least be looking in the same direction that God's looking in. What do you see? And God then responds to Jeremiah, you have seen well. In other words, you could have seen not well. <laughs> you could have seen, you, could, you may not even be looking. What do you see? And I think that's for somebody in the church this morning. I was ministering at a church on Wednesday evening and doing a lecture for quite a lot of people uh, midweek. And, um, and I, I think God is drawing us, certainly in my world, what do you see? What do you see? What is God doing? What is God doing in your world right now? What's he actually doing? And look at it for what it is. What actually is going on? What do you see? And then God goes on to say, I'm watching over my word to perform it. God's not going to leave you isolated. He's going to perform the function of his word by faith in your life. He's going to do it. And it's interesting because in Jeremiah, he says again to Jeremiah, what do you see? And there's actually a second thing that Jeremiah sees. He sees a pot tipped over. And it's like, it's from, from in my mind, God, God wants us to see what he's seeing but we need to be focused on him. We need to, we, our, our trust needs to be on God. Don't get casual in the summer break on your beach, beach in the Bahamas. Don't, don't be too caught up with the uh, factor 40 <laughs> um, or, or other things. What is it? God, God will show you stuff. I'm seeing a guy on Tuesday this week. He's the pastor of the church I ministered in, 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 um, in where was it? Austria, coming over. I remember that trip, the number of things God showed me that were not obvious to other people. And here's a mark of leaders. A mark of a leader is having peripheral vision. It's having the ability to see what others don't see. What do, what, what do you see that others don't see? Are you satisfied with what you see? Are you seeing anything? What is it God's showing you? you know, and let's not get caught up in it negatively, but um, it's exciting. You know, there are guys getting baptized next service, four of them, and uh, incredible stories of grace, two youth and two adults. And, um, you know, by God's grace, they'll be here. There's a battle on for these first-time believers, and I just, I just, we just trust God. So, third point: bearing responsibility. So, um, the, uh, walking in the truth, building trust, uh, becoming visible, then bearing responsibility. And I'll fly through this. Verse 46: Joseph was 30 years old when he began to serve in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And then Joseph left Pharaoh's presence. Sorry, and when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence. He inspected the entire land of Egypt. Platform is simply a means to effectiveness in God's kingdom. He immediately inspected the entire land of Egypt. You may never have noticed that. He knows he got on with the very thing God was prophesying. He got on with it straight away. He didn't relish in the platform experience, the, the promotion. He got straight into the work. And sometimes as Christians we get to the platform and we stop and we relish in the light and whatever else. But actually, Joseph, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. He got onto it. He bared the responsibility of the prophetic in his life. It's not enough just to have the prophetic or have the word of God, 
but it's carrying the responsibility, bearing the responsibility of that word as well. Jesus endured the cross. His whole life was, was doing what his father told him to do. And seven years of, of abundance was about to kick in, which means that his relationships, Joseph's relationships, he had to work on relationships. He had to be able to lead. He couldn't just be a guy of ones and twos. He had to be a, like a prime minister, an envoy of the whole nation. He had to be someone who won favour. Just because you're given a title doesn't give you influence. You know that. You have to work influence. If you lead people, you'll know that. Influence is a skill you have to learn and develop. Just by having a strong opinion and being correct technically doesn't make you a good leader. It just gives you information in your head. But the actual ability to move things forward is actually another set of skills. So Joseph is just about to learn national level skills in his life and inspect the entire land. So he physically got on with the work, didn't over-delegate, got on with it. And, uh, and in the end, what happened? God produced a storehouse out of the land of Egypt. That's what happened. God was building a storehouse. And what do we call a church? A storehouse. So God is going to build Josephs in our life. Who are the Josephs in BCC? The equivalents to Joseph. Who are you? Where are you? Male, female. God is building young people. God is, your future is in God's hands and, and you've got a lot to learn, but God is going to build way after I'm gone. There'll be Josephs in the life of this church and the next generation coming through. And God will do what God will do. But he had to get on with it. He had to carry that responsibility. And he addressed the spiritual famine, but more importantly, at that point, he addressed a, a physical famine famine. So seven years of preparation of plenty had to give way to seven years of famine. Then the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. When we do the right stuff God provides the food. (laughs) Do you realize that? Our community, I read somewhere recently that 97% of our population have no real understanding of God at all. 97, it may be slightly less than that, but that's an indictment really. But you know, there's a huge, something like 48% of our population would call themselves Christian. You know, in a recent survey last year. So people might call themselves something, but they don't have any work in practice of what that means. Enter the church, we've got a phenomenal opportunity. Our country is in a spiritual famine. Um, But the famine struck not only Egypt, but the surrounding countries. And as we, as we, you may think BCC, we're three, four, five hundred people. You know, as we do our stuff, as we do our stuff, I'm telling you, God's going to impact others. Our nation could be impacted. Other countries will be impacted. You know, I was in Sweden just a couple of weeks back, three weeks ago, with Dave and Josie. Uh, what I think is so amazing, and Adam and Fru are going to be with Dave and Josie tomorrow, I think. Um, give them our best regards. Dave and Josie love BCC. Now, their home church is the church in Uppsala, which is where I went to, but I didn't even know it was, I didn't, all I know is I got invited to go to a conference and I contacted Dave and said, I've been invited to a conference, is it anywhere near you? Found out it was actually their home church and it was the church itself was having this conference and it just blew my mind when I started to understand the history of that church. Now, Dave and Josie love BCC and they love coming back here. So anyway, we, we hope that one day they will, they will come back to the UK, but um, their church is called Word of Life Church. And over 30 years, that church has planted a thousand churches. I mean, we're talking about an incredible apostolic move of God over 30 years. It's not, not without its challenges and difficulties, but a thousand churches were planted through the active faith of one church. 
that's now it's, today it's still only three and a half thousand people. But you know how many people currently worship in those thousand churches? Over 250,000 people across Russia, going into India and other countries. How is that possible from a local church? And Sweden, this is probably the largest church in the Nordics. It's just amazing what God has done. And so we shouldn't limit God's ability to reach through, a, through seasons of famine as long as we've done the right things right. We've borne the responsibility. If we bear responsibility, we keep our trust in the right, right place. If we, if we just keep humble, keep the trust in, in the right place, um, we, we build that trust we become, as God makes us visible because you become more visible. I'll become more visible. we just got to be humble and get that responsibility put into place. Adam, would you join me with the team? I think it's amazing what God can do. And I think we're going to be entering a season. And maybe this all seems like too much for a Sunday morning. But let me say, let your faith go. Let your faith rise up. You know, we're, we're this, God's plan is not to keep churches small. God's plan is to, to reach communities and nations because that's his purpose. That's his plan, to reach every tribe and nation and tongue. But we just got to do the right things right. Am I ready for more kingdom responsibility? Just seven checkpoints here for you. Love Jesus, make him your priority. Love his church, be kingdom minded. Number three, want to serve God more. Don't, don't say I've had enough now, I'm, I'm past serving anymore. Want to serve God more. First, fourth thing, keep those spiritual disciplines in place. Be reading the word, be praying. Be in fellowship. Don't get into isolation. Fifth thing, is there a sense of God's call in your life? There will be because this church is a growing, multiplying church. Therefore, you will be feeling a sense of call just because you're in here, let alone what's in your own life. It's sense of call. Are you seeing opportunities open? Be a good judge. Be wise and discerning about how you respond to them. And then be willing to bear the responsibility to take a step of faith. Anyway, let's stand this morning as Adam takes us through a song and then we'll uh, continue with our meeting.